We're in our series in, on Joseph. Last week we kicked it off as we're going in to really see the episodes in Joseph's life. And as I was working through the sermon this week, I encountered this story that Chuck Swindoll tells. And uh, he tells it, it was about 60 years ago at a community in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, they had come together and done a, a big fundraiser. Uh, the taxes were raised so that they could construct this beautiful red brick building that would house their police and fire departments. And when the beer, building was completed, they had this huge ribbon-cutting ceremony. And it was a small town, but it seemed like all of the residents from this small town and all the residents from far and wide came out for this um, ribbon ceremony. And about 6,000 people came. And that was uh, almost everyone in the, in the town and surrounding area. It was the biggest event of the year. However, within about two months, they began to notice some ominous cracks on the side of this red brick building. And sometimes, sometime later, it was noticed that the windows wouldn't shut all the way. The doors wouldn't close. There ended up being gaps in the floors. And it caused the, I mean, there were some massive changes all over this building. The floor shifted and it left ugly gaps in the floor covering and corners the roof began to leak. Within a few more months, months, it had to be evacuated to the embarrassment of the builder and to the frustration of the taxpayers. Now, a firm did a study. They wanted to know what happened to this building, and they noticed that uh, the blast from a nearby mining town were slowly but effectively destroying the building. And imperceptibly, down beneath the foundation... There were slow, small shifts and changes taking place that caused the whole foundation to crack. You couldn't feel it, and you couldn't even see the shifts and changes taking place that caused the whole foundation to crack. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything to stop it, but to ride across the door of that building condemned and not fit for public use, ultimately the building had to be demolished. Now, why do I share that story? Because the, the story has a, a real point to it. It's saying that if the foundation is off, or what's going on even beneath the foundation affects everything else. And in our lives, we have a foundation which is Christ. It's the bedrock of our faith. He is the truth, the reality, the, the, the living, uh, our living hope. And it's through Him that we find eternal life, and we are to learn to walk with Him and to walk in righteousness. And we, we call this living or walking in righteousness integrity. Now, integrity is a hot word today, especially when we have our political candidates being thrust in front of us. And unfortunately, the word integrity isn't used with either one of them very often. Integrity seems to be a very lost cause. Uh, It seems to be passe, like it doesn't matter anymore. And it seems like it when we're looking at our politicians, when we see what's coming out left and right from this politician or that politician. I mean, I, I, I constantly am wondering why anyone is surprised when we look at a lot of their lives for his history, none of them have been people of integrity. But integrity is extremely valuable to God. And Joseph is a man of great integrity. I mean, huge integrity. To think what he had gone through and what he was going through, he still had fat, held fast to his integrity. But yet we see his brothers filled with animosity, filled with envy. And we see how their life is juxtaposed against his, placed against it. We see integrity and we see envy. We see that each one of us can take uh, our place in one of these two camps. Either we can be people of envy or we can try to be people of integrity. And God shows us throughout his word the pathway to 
the blessing, that we can walk with him. So today, I want us to, I want us to, uh, to look at this episode, and I see it as an episode of integrity, envy, and blessing, and we need to choose what we want to be. Do we want to be people of envy? Do we want to be people of integrity? And how can we follow on the path of God's blessing that he has laid out for us within his word? Because each one of us are tempted to envy our brothers and sisters, to compromise our integrity to get what we want. But we have to hold fast, especially as followers of Christ. And we see that happening seemingly day in and day out. We hear of stories of politicians giving themselves over to all manner of sin or something that they had done comes out and it becomes a scandal. We're seeing it among church leaders build these massive churches and then we find out that they had done something that they'd hid from everyone else and it comes and wrecks the entirety of their ministry. We need to be men and women of integrity. Satan is seeking to bring us down, to, to put that crack in, to shake our foundation that it might cause everything else in our lives to fall. But we must remain steadfast, standing on the rock, building our life on that foundation of Christ, that his name might increase in glory, and that we might increase our joy in him and live lives of peace and purpose to do what he has called us and made us to do. So today, let's stop, let's pause, let's look at this this episode of Joseph's life and see what God wants to show us about who he is and about who we are, that we might go forth changed. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak to us today. We ask you to direct our lives and open your word to show us the reality of who you are and of who we are. Lord, use this episode from Joseph's life to teach us, to instruct us, that we might be men and women of integrity, that we might choose the path of blessing, the path of life. But use us, Lord, and speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's jump right into our text as we see. Uh, First thing I want us to notice in today's episode is the power of integrity. And I know you don't have the, the screen up, but the first word there is power of integrity. There is power in integrity. We know the end of Joseph's life. We have the privilege of being able to see his life in retrospect so we can see the entirety of his life. If we were just to see this part of his life and not the end of it, I mean, we can only construct a few things. But because we know the end result of his life, we can go back and draw encouragement from the choices that he made early on in his life. And we see that even from a young age, and remember, he's 17 years old when this starts off, but we see he understood or was living a life of integrity. And that built the foundation for the rest of his life. Now, what is integrity? The dictionary defines integrity this way. Integrity as it defined as, make sure that I get this correct, it is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. And there is power in integrity. Now, we know that integrity doesn't just happen overnight, but it is made through a series of choices that we make in life. And there are times where we all have to admit that we weren't people of integrity, that we've made poor moral choices. We have compromised ourselves, and we have to go back and ask God for forgiveness But our integrity is built over a lifetime of choices. The same is true. We lose our integrity over a series of choices. Now, some people say, well, it's one choice. They did this. 
a lot of times there were small choices made before the big thing came out. Whenever you see a scandal of a politician, you really are seeing something that happened long ago and a series of moral compromises that finally came to fruition later. But there is power in it. For example, uh, the Titanic. In 1912, the Titanic went down, taking about 1,500 lives as it did so. And when people went back, uh, they initially thought that the reason the Titanic sank was because it hit, a, hit an iceberg and caused one big giant gash in the boat that caused the whole place, whole thing to flood and go down. But in 1997, scientists explored the wreckage and they found that it wasn't actually one big gash, but it was very small, six small slits that had gone in throughout the boat. It was small slits that caused the whole Titanic to sink. And our small choices that we make end up having disastrous consequences because they add up to be big things. So we see then that we are to live lives of integrity. And we can look at Joseph's life and see the power of integrity. Now, what does integrity mean? And what can we learn about Joseph's integrity from this passage? Well, the first thing is this. Integrity means doing the right thing. It means doing the right thing. Now, let's look at verse 12 in our passage for today. Now, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am, I'm ready to go. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they're pasturing their flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I've heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, how do we see that as the right thing? Well, this is how. Remember, Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated him with a passion. They hated his dreams. They, they hated the fact that he was his chosen one, the favorite, Jacob's chosen one, the favorite son. He had the coat of many colors. They hated their brother. And I'm sure that this hate came out in many different ways. It just didn't happen one day where they put their brother in a pit. It happened over time, and it came out to their brother over time. Have you ever been angry at someone or ever heard of the term passive-aggressive? You ever heard that term before? Where you're aggressive to someone, you may not say outright what you mean, but you say little things that kind of get the point across. I'm sure that these brothers, maybe some were passive-aggressive, others were outright aggressive to their brother over and over and over again. And I'm sure Jacob, I mean, Jacob, for whatever reason, just thought boys will be boys, didn't think much about it. Maybe he did, we don't know. But he sends Joseph on this mission to check up on the brothers. Now, Jacob had to have, maybe he didn't realize, I think he had to have, that this was probably an ill-fated mission. Joseph's thinking to himself, this is the last thing I want to do. They hate me. They hate me. Why do I want to go to the people that hate me? Why do I want to do this, Dad? I, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. Have you ever had that, that event where your family was going to and you told the kids, hey, let's go, and they go, oh, I hate going. I can't stand it. I don't like those people. They don't like me. Their dog doesn't like me. Their kids don't like me. I'm sure it was with Joseph's brothers. I mean, this is his family. He's like, Dad, I really don't want to go on this mission. But he didn't. He didn't do that at all. He didn't didn't do any of that. He said, here I am. I'll go. I'll go. He did the right thing, and that was to be obedient to his father. And if we're to be people of integrity, it means doing the right thing. 
We're to do the right thing. It's hard at times to do the right thing. It's easy to compromise. And, and all of us in this room know, know that. We've all done it at one time or another. We've compromised our integrity, whether it's with money, whether it's with our morality, whether it's with our choices at our workplace. We've all compromised in one way or another. And God's calling us back to forsake that compromise and to cling and reestablish our integrity. And we need to do that. And that's what Joseph did. He refused to compromise. He did the right thing. Thing. And many of us today, we don't, it's amazing to me how many of us don't care about character any longer. It's all about the end result. If the end justifies the means, we're okay. It, it reminds me of this parable uh, that one theologian told that uh, th- these thieves broke into a department store where there was a lot of different jewelry and furs and a lot of different very expensive items, yet some also very low-cost items. And what they did is they switched the tags in the grocery store. So a diamond that was $6,000 was now 10 bucks. And they switched it all over the place. And see, that's what many of us have done today with the, the issue of character and integrity. We switched the tags. We've taken what is very valuable, which is our integrity. We're saying it's real cost. It's, it doesn't cost a lot. It's not worth very much. Getting the job done is what's really worth something. But God's saying, no, 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 no. Because see what happens when we embrace that mentality is where we're just setting a very incomplete and very faulty foundation. And that foundation is going to collapse. We need to build it on Christ, that moral foundation. And that's what Joseph was doing. And it was seen in the choices that he was making. He was doing the right thing. But that's not all. I mean, he was choosing a great reputation. He wanted to live rightly. And we have to understand that our reputations that we have, the character that we formulate is worth more than silver or gold. As Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 says, choose a good reputation. We call that verse up here for a moment. Um, But it means choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in great high esteem is better than silver or gold. Great name. A great name. And that comes through the choices that we make day in and day out. And one of the ways we can gain a good reputation is to do right and make sure that we are declining to make excuses. Declining to make excuses. Joseph refused to make excuses. He could have made all kinds of excuses to his dad on why he shouldn't go or didn't have to go, but he didn't. He held on. He didn't make excuses to his father about why he couldn't go after his brother's he could have gone even partway and come back or said that his brothers hated him or said something else entirely, but he didn't. He, he didn't make excuses. Matter of fact, he could have gone, because gone, remember, he was to go from Hebron to Shechem. He could have gone there. Oh, brothers aren't there. I'll just go on back. Couldn't find him, Dad. He didn't do it. He could have said, hey, I did what you asked me to do. I went try to find her brothers where they were at. They weren't there. Hands washed. I'm all done. But he doesn't make excuses. Matter of fact, he shows us that integrity is not just declining to make excuses, but it's going the extra mile. It's deciding to go the extra mile. That's the next point in your notes, letter C, deciding to go the extra mile. Jacob and his sons were camped out at Hebron, and Jacob sends him to Shechem, which is a distance of 41 miles. 
That's how far he sends Joseph to go get his brothers, which I try to measure out what 41 miles is, is in Chicagoland. That's walking from here to the United Center. 41 miles. And that's what Joseph has to do. So he walks 41 miles, and imagine walking all that distance and nothing. Nothing. There's no, their brothers aren't there. He's wandering around. And this guy sees him wandering around and says, um, can I help you out? Can I help you with something? And he's like, I'm trying to find my brothers. And, and this discussion occurs, and he goes, well, I heard them say that they are going on to Dothan. So that's, he's, he has to wonder to himself, Dothan? That's another 62 miles away from Shechem. He'd already walked 41 miles. Now he's got to walk another 62 miles to get to his brothers. He could have been like, I'm done with it. I hate them. (laughs) They don't like me very much. I'm just going to go home. No, he says, I'm going to go the extra mile. If we're to be people of integrity, it means going the extra mile. Jesus even talks about this in in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. The screen's not working right now, so let me read it for you. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. See, it's the life that Jesus has called us to. If we want to be people of integrity of true Christ-likeness, we need to go the extra mile. That might mean helping out your enemy, giving that help when you don't want to, giving extra time, or reaching out to those who do not like you or who are gossiping about you. But it means being kind to our enemies, giving them no reason to turn against Christ. Now that we've looked at the power of integrity, I want us to look at Joseph's brothers for a moment because they're not people of integrity. Matter of fact, they are just filled with the problem of envy. The problem of envy, and that's letter P. That's number two there in your notes. I know the um, letter number two in your notes. The problem of envy. Now look at verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Now remember what envy is. Envy is um, believing that you deserve what someone else has and wishing ill will upon them at the same time. We talked about envy in our Deadly Sins series. And we see where envy leads in the brothers' lives. And we see where it can end up and result in our own as well. That envy can lead us to conspire against other people. We want to bring them down. They saw Joseph afar off and they conspired. They hated him so bad. They wanted what he had. That attention, that authority, that prestige that they were willing to bring him down, and they conspired. I mean, we have people in our lives, our neighbors that have what we believe. They might have a nice car. They might have great kids that are great athletes or students or what have you. They might have new clothes or new, a new flat-screen TV or a brand-new finished basement or whatever it might be. And then we think, how can I get what they have? How can I bring them down and bring myself up? We conspire against other people. That's what envy does to us. But that's not all. Notice what they do next in verse 19. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Apparently there were several pits around. Then they will see that a fierce, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him 
and we will see what will become of his dreams. That's the last part I want you to pay attention to right here. Here's their motivation. And we will see what will become of his dreams. They're frustrated because of his dreams. And that dream came from God himself. And what they found out and they learn later is that they're, they're trying to circumvent God's plan. And that's what happens. Because, see, we don't believe that God gives us what we think we deserve. So we have to go out and try to get what we think we deserve. And we're willing to do all kinds of vile things to get it. Compromise our integrity. To do evil. And what we're really doing is circumventing God's plans. We don't like the idea of being put in a place and not achieving something amazing and great. Don't we realize that it's through our suffering that that greatness is happening? That that is the purification tool, the school that God wants to place us in in order to develop within us character that can't be soiled, that can't be compromised. That makes his name great. It's not by you getting a, a better house or a better TV or whatever it might be. It's through our suffering. See, this is where the Word of Faith movement has it messed up. They say that if you're suffering, something's wrong. God doesn't want you to suffer. They must be cutting out parts of the New Testament. Because God calls us to suffer. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Endure suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That we're to follow in Jesus' steps, who was reviled. We're following a crucified Savior who was rejected by his people. What makes us think that we're not going to be rejected? As the world rejected Jesus, it's going to reject us as well. We're going to have persecution. We're going to have people that are frustrated with us. We're going to have suffering. And that's why James said, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. But see, what they wanted to do, their envy led them out of that. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to have him over us. We hate him so bad that we'd rather do all kinds of evil than accept what God has for us. Because we don't like God putting parameters around us. It's limiting our freedom. And how many people have tried to go outside of those parameters and hurt themselves in the process? God, you gave me a spouse that doesn't love me. I'm going to go out here and have an affair because that's, you want me to be happy. God wants you to stay within the parameters he has for you. Or I, hear, I, I see couples all the time, and they'll say, well, God didn't give me a spouse in my time, so they compromised their sexual integrity, their purity, because they said, they're not giving it what I want at that time. Look what everybody around me is doing. I want that. This is God's plan for you. Well, why don't they do that? They have to pay the price for their own sin, their own action. You're responsible for what you do with your life. And accept the parameters that God has for you. That's what we are to do. Because you see that envy leads us to circumvent God's plan. And next we can see envy seeks to capitalize on others' misfortunes. Capitalize on others' misfortunes. Look at verse 21 with me for a moment. But when Reuben heard it, this is the oldest brother, by the way. So Joseph, in essence, has received this double blessing by receiving this uh, garment, which some scholars believe to be the inheritance, the preeminence within the tribe. And yet Reuben is the very firstborn. So Joseph is the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. but, But Reuben is the firstborn of the first wife, Leah. So Reuben, though, is on the outs with his dad because Reuben decided to sleep with his father's concubine or second-tier wife, Bilhah. 
Now, Bilhah had to be a little bit older because Bilhah was given to Abraham as wife. Um, she had actually been given to uh, Rachel as her servant when she got married to Jacob which was just a week after her sister had been given. So this girl, probably a teenager, so she's at least, I mean, 12, 13, 14, 15 years older than Reuben. And Reuben goes and sleeps with Bilhah, earning his father's frustration, which comes out later when at the, Jacob's deathbed when he goes to bless his sons. He re- keeps the blessing away from Reuben. And then Reuben's sin really finds him out. But Reuben's trying to find a way to get back into God's grace, get it back into his father's graces. So how does he do that? If I can restore his favorite son, maybe he'll restore me to my position of authority. Maybe he'll give me that preeminence again within the tribe. So he's trying to capitalize on on Joseph's misfortune. He's trying to find a way, and we see that brought out again after Joseph is sold off. He's frustrated because he's, he can't find that way back into his father's good graces. And see, when, when we try to capitalize on others' misfortune, we know that we are being envious. When we envy someone, we want to capitalize on their mis- misfortune to promote ourselves. Which leads to the next part. It leads us to cruel actions. It goes from uh, beyond actually thinking about it, conspiring to actually doing it. Look at verse 23. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they strip him of this prized robe. They throw him into this waterless pit. It's, it's hot. I mean, we're still in the Middle East. And, and we can see here that when, whenever we truly let envy take a hold of our lives, we will plot to harm people It eventually will do that very thing, and that's what they did. This envy grew to bitterness. Bitterness led to hate, and hate led them to hurt their brother. It leads to cruel actions. What is that cruel action that envy is leading you to? I mean, you hear stories about neighbors keying their neighbor's car or poisoning their neighbor's dog. I mean, these are things that happen in our world today where envy or hate drips in and then leads us to cruel action because we didn't let it stay checked. We have to be very careful of where envy goes and have to guard ourselves against us. Because after we, then we do the cruel action, something even worse occurs. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 42, if you have it, if we can call it up on the screen. I want us to draw attention to what happens to Joseph. We, we actually don't see this in Genesis 37, but in Genesis 49, when Joseph's brothers are... Uh, before him, after he is the prime minister of all of Egypt, they think they're being punished because of what they did to their brother. And this is what they said to one another. In truth, we're guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul. So they're looking back to the moment that we're reading about now in Genesis 37. When Joseph is in the pit and he's getting sold into slavery, they're telling us about what they saw and heard. And that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. What type of evil overcomes a person that you throw your brother into this pit? He has no water. He's, he's stripped down. We don't know if he's completely naked or if just stripped of the, the coat and he's got his tunic on. And you can't imagine the terror in his brother. Uh, the other day I was playing with my kids I was playing this game of monster with them in the basement, and uh, they, the, the lights in the back part of the basement, um, there was just one small light on, 
And I got quiet. I was hiding around the corner. And I hear them call, Daddy, like, game over. Daddy, I'm a little scared because it was dark. And I jumped out, and they screamed, and they laughed, and they saw me. And then I took the light switch, and I flipped it off. Now, what do you think my kids did at that moment in time? They really got scared <laughs> at that moment in time. Because they realized, what? You know, they weren't safe. Something, something could go wrong. Imagination kicked in. Now, let's, let's up that a little bit. Joseph, is, his family throws him into a pit. There's no water. He's thirsty. He doesn't know what his brothers are going to do. He heard them talking that they might try to kill him. The fear that he's going through. And he's calling out, just as my kids say, Daddy, Daddy. And there's this fear. You can see it. You can hear it in their voice. Can you hear that in Joseph's voice? Reuben, hey, Reuben. Come on, let me out. Come on, guys. This isn't funny anymore. This isn't funny. This isn't funny. And it, it goes on. And, they're, and they're, 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 they're pretty heartless. And then they hear them like, wait a minute. He's going to sell, sell him? And, and you can imagine as he's being bound and he's led away to these people, he doesn't even possibly understand their language. And he's like, what's going on? Hey, guys, come on. Come on, please. This isn't funny anymore. I want to stop. Stop. Get off. Let me get off. Let me get off. You know, it's, it's like the, your little brother when you put him on the, the, the Rocco plane when you were a kid. Did you ever do that? And you're going around and around. It's like, I want to stop now. I want to stop now. I want to stop. And they're not stopping, and it's going on. This, is not a, this, isn't, this isn't made up. This is reality. But can you imagine what kind of cruelty the brothers had to go through to do that, to turn the deaf ear to their brother's cry? See, what happens is, is we give ourselves over to envy, then we have to do something that's, that Scripture really warns against, and that's censoring our conscience. That we want to shut it off. We, we don't hear it anymore. It's like, I, I remember when car alarms came out. Remember when car alarms came out and you'd hear it? Bloop, bloop. And you'd be like, oh, somebody's trying to rob my car. And then after a while, you hear it all the time. You don't hear it anymore. You don't, you don't, you don't pay attention to it. You don't think about it any longer. See, God has given us our conscience to wake us up to the reality of what's going on around us. And these guys were so committed to their sin, to fulfilling their sinful desire that envy had on them to get rid of Joseph, that they're censoring their conscience. How often are we willing to do that? That God is speaking to us again, again, and again, and we fill it like, hey, let me turn on this show. Let me just eat this. I, got, I can't think about this right now. I can't be alone right now because God's trying to get my attention. And we try to find ways to quiet our conscience. How far are you willing to go to quiet your conscience? What are you trying to do? When I lived in Massachusetts, we had a fireplace in the uh, living room. And uh, I remember we had, uh, at times, if the flue wasn't open, the smoke would come into the, the room and it would set off this one fire alarm that was always annoying. It seemed like it was always going off. You ever had that fire alarm that's always going off? And I would frustrate it and I'd press the button to, to shut it off. I'd shut it off and that fire alarm kept going off. And that night, uh, I remember it was like a Monday night or it was a Thursday night and uh, the fire alarm kept going off, and I hit the button. And, and the baby's uh, room was just right by the fire alarm. And I'm like, I'd go away, and it would go off again. And it would go off again. And, and I had the fire in the fireplace, but I'm like, I don't see any smoke. And finally, I took, the, took it off, and I pulled the battery out. And then next thing I know, I hear the other fire alarm in the bedroom go off. I'm like, what's going on? And I go, and I rip that one off. And then I hear one in the basement, boop, 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 boop. And I'm like, what's going on? And I run down the basement, and my basement's filled with smoke. It had gone down into the fireplace, and it was finding its way into the drywall that the ashes had, and it was causing smoke. But see, 
many of us, what we do is when we, we don't see the smoke initially and we think, hey, our conscience, we're going to shut it off. We're going to press the button. We're going to stop it. We're going to stop it. And then we pull it out. I don't want to hear it anymore. But then another thing goes off. And it's God trying to get our attention to wake us up that we need to make a change. Because if we don't, disaster is ahead. It could burn down our whole house. That's why he's given it to you. Don't try to quiet your conscience. Follow what it's telling you to do. Confess your sin. Repent of it. Because see, God gives us that warning indicator so that we might stop what we're doing and confess our sin and realize the situation that we're in. And if the brothers would have heard their conscience, they could have realized, what are we doing right now? What are we, we're talking about killing our brother? We're going to sell him into slavery? They don't do that. Their hearts are so hard that they're willing to censor their conscience. And all of us can do it. Envy causes us to censor our conscience. But do you know what else we do when we give ourselves over to envy? We begin to chase after profit. It's the lowest common denominator. If we can make a buck off of, of doing it at the same time, why not? That's what they're doing. Hey, a byproduct of messing with our brother? Hey, we don't have to kill him. You know what? If we kill him, we're not going to make any money off of it. Look at verse 25. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, You know what? What what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on. (laughs) Let's let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let... And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. After all, you know, we can't kill him, but we can sell him and make a buck off of it. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Killing Joseph didn't make any money. See, for many of us, we're willing to compromise our integrity if we can save a buck or make some money off of it. How many of us have done that? Try to cut corners. Cut corners here, cut corners there, just to get that money. And here, that's what they're doing. They're saying, you know what? We've already done all this. Why not make some money off of it? We can all do that. And in the process, though, we've gained the whole world, possibly, but we've lost our soul. How many of us wanted what others have had and were willing to sell our souls in the process to get what we want? Too many. Do you know what else envy leads us to, what it leads us to do? It then leads us to cover up our evil. See, what they did is they killed a goat, tore up the robe, and then uh, took the blood from the goat and smeared it all over the coat and gave it to their dad, making up one of the craziest stories in the process. We don't people finding out what we did. We lie about it. We create crazy stories that enable our lives to flourish or to live and keep our sin from being found out and others thinking bad about us. The only problem is we can't fool God, and it will eventually come out. As the Scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. And what will happen then? We will have to suffer shame and humiliation. The only way to get out of that is to confess our sins. As Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, it says this, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. See, sin, when it's kept in the dark, is powerful. It has a grip on our souls. But when we confess our sins and we, we give them to God, we're open about them, then the power that, that sin has over us is lessened, is weakened. 
It's made to nothing because we are ultimately responsible to God. We have to confess our sins, refuse to cover up our evil, to hide it. Because we might have an outward reputation, but if our inward, our hearts are dark, God knows. And that cannot be changed unless we confess our sins, agree with God, be open about the evil that we've done. If we want to be people of integrity and rid ourselves of envy, then we need to bark on the, embark on the pathway of blessing. God lays out a pathway of blessing for us that we can see throughout the scriptures. And in order for Joseph's brothers to remove envy from their lives, the first thing that they would have had to have done is refuse comparison. Refuse comparison. That's so hard to do. We're always comparing ourselves. Whether you're a mom comparing yourself with other moms or dads, you're comparing yourself to what other men has achieved in his career, or maybe it's a classmate and what they've overcome, or an athlete and their accolades, we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. But comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment. When we see what other people have, oh, they have a spouse and I don't, I'm still single. Or they have this car and, or they got that new house and, and we compare it. And then we, we think that our things are not that great any longer. But comparison kills contentment. If we continue on in comparison, we will make ourselves and those around us miserable because we'll constantly be chasing what they have and beating ourselves up for what we don't have. Secondly, we have to refrain from underhanded ways. Refrain from underhanded ways. Don't seek to do evil to other people to bring them down or wish ill upon them, to bring yourself up. Refrain from it. Instead, bless them. Be happy for them. Rejoice in what God is doing in them and through them. Rejoice in that. It's hard to do. But I find that when I rejoice in what others have done, it changes my perspective and places me in the face of God because ultimately they're not accountable to me. They're accountable to God. And God is a just God, and he will make sure every right is wronged. I mean, every wrong is righted. He will correct every injustice. But I want to bless them because God has been merciful to them. He's doing something through them and in them. And he's also done things in me that might be different, but I need to refrain from doing anything underhanded to bring about their demise or to hurt them or disparage their name. In other words, don't gossip about someone to bring them down. Don't seek to damage their reputation. As far as it depends on you, keep your mouth shut. Bless them as best you can. When others want to disparage them, keep it to yourself. That's hard to do. It's very hard to do. That's what God calls us to do. Thirdly, we have to realize that God's ways are best. God's ways are best. God didn't make a mistake in your life. He will use your experiences and the situations you are in to do things in you and through you. God's plan was to use Joseph in phenomenal ways, and they tried to bucket and got them into a tremendous amount of trouble in the process. See, if we try and fight God's ways for our life, we will end up hurting ourselves and those around us. And eventually it will come out. It will come out. Fourthly, and lastly, rest in God's revealed will. Rest in God's revealed will. See, we find contentment in doing what God has revealed within his word, not going off and doing our own things. They couldn't accept what God had for them, but when we realize what God has for us, no matter what it is, we can rest in it. See, Joseph ended up resting in what he was going through. He didn't have much of a choice But he was faithful in what he knew, and he tried to make the best of it. And how do we do that in our lives? For example, let me give you one that's, I think, very prevalent. If you're in a marriage where you're thinking of leaving your spouse, don't. 
God tells you not to do it. God wants you to stay in it and make the best of it. You might be winning your spouse if they're an unbeliever in the process, or people might be seeing your character and the hardship that you're enduring. I've seen classmates of mine who didn't like the fact that they had children and they, they, they didn't want to have kids. They didn't want to have a spouse. They thought they wanted it, but then they see all their friends off partying and they're like in their 40s and they're saying, you know what, I'm going to go clubbing with people that are in their 20s. And they forsake that, their responsibility, and they damage and wreck their family because of their own selfish choices because they didn't like the situation that they were in. How many of us are like that? All the time. We don't like where our lives are at. Do you know that we are one of the most blessed people on the face of the earth and it's still not enough? It's still not enough. We're like, oh, I'm not happy enough if I only had that. And other people in other lands are looking at us going, are you kidding me? Think of the freedoms that we have that we take for granted day in and day out. Think of all the blessings that we have and we still don't feel like it's enough. That's crazy where we're at in our world today. We never feel like it's enough. It's not right. It's not what I wanted, God. And we try to tell upon God. And that leads us to all manner of sin. And God's calling us to say, what else do I have to show you? What, else, what other blessing do I have to give you? We say, well, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Give me this, give me this spouse. Give me this house. Give me this job. Give me this prestige. Give me this fame. Give me this power. That's what I want. The thing is, he gives, he's already given us so much, and yet it still isn't enough. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. We have to rest in what God has revealed and his word about our lives. Rest in what he has for you. That is where you'll find the greatest contentment, not in escaping it. Remember, it's through our struggles and the trials that we go through that we find contentment because God is doing a great work in us. It's not going to be easy, but that's where God is working and where God is leading. Today's episode is one of integrity, envy, and blessing. We have to choose a life of integrity every day. And that means going on the pathway of blessing. Character counts. Hold on to Christ. Don't let go. Cling to him. And when you do not understand what's going on, trust in him. He will bless and guide you in a way that honors him and increases your joy in him. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard lesson. There's so many things that we want that we feel discontent in our lives. And often it's, it's we, we blame you for it when the reality is it's oftentimes ourselves and our own sinful desires that we've refused to discipline or redirect to temper. Lord, forgive us. Help us to go back to the cross of Christ. Helps to see the crucified Savior all again, remembering that he paid the price for our sins. Lord, as we marvel in the cross, we stand again humbled, marveling at what you've done in him and through him, that you brought, and you show your, that you brought this world to nothing. That the Savior of the world that humbled himself, and Lord, just as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, may we... Submit our wills to you. May we take up our crosses daily, dying to ourselves to live the life that you have intended us to live. May we follow Joseph's example to be people of integrity. May we not be like his brothers that were filled with envy that led to all kinds of evil, but may we truly choose the pathway of blessing before you, taking up our cross daily, 
living in lives of integrity. Lord, we know how much we have compromised. Forgive us. Forgive us. Do not treat us as our sins deserve. But may your mercy and your grace be upon us. May you help us all to start anew, to build that integrity, that reputation now. Not listening to the cries of those around us. Not giving in to the pleas of those who want us to sin and join them in all kinds and manner of sin and wrongdoing. Lord, may we truly live lives of integrity and basking in the forgiveness that your cross enabled us to have, living the new life that the resurrection uh, showed us that we can have. May your spirit ever be present in our lives, teaching us the truths of your word, bringing to remembrance all that you have taught within your word that we might go forth changed, salt and light in the midst of a dark place. Lord, let us not give in uh, to compromise no matter what the world may throw at us, but may we always be people of integrity, being careful not to switch tags to see and value what the world values, but truly value what it is that you value, and that is uprightness, that we can see that's so powerfully illustrated in Joseph's life before us. Go with us as we go today, and help us to truly take those steps of righteousness for your namesake, making those small choices that will lead to a powerful foundation that is built upon the rock of you, that is found in the truth and the reality of who you are. Bless us and use us. In Jesus' name, amen.